Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, the director of Tramps, the director of She Bops, one of my favorite people in Toronto, a, a friend, a pal, someone I've known for a very long time, Kevin K2 Heggy is on the show. And uh, I'm excited for you to hear this. This is a very good conversation. More on that in one second. But first, to get in touch with me, head to the, head to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That and a Facebook page and an Instagram page for Turned Out of Punk are all run by my brother and show producer and normally guest booker extraordinaire, uh, Tristan Abraham. And he will get the message to me. Love you, Tristan. Thank you for all the hard work you do. You can also find me on Twitter or Instagram at Damien. If you want to support the show, tell all your friends about it, subscribe to it and rate it, or uh, or head to turnoutapunk.com and, and pick up a t-shirt. And thank you to people that do that. Very much appreciated. Uh, I played a band. We're called Fucked Up. You can find out more information about upcoming releases, uh, tours at fuckedup.cc. We just announced uh, some shows in Germany, some shows in... What do, you, what do you call that part of America that's like Texas and Arizona? I guess it's Southwest, right? Southwest? Southwest. So we have some Southwest shows in the, in the United States announced. And um, and uh, yeah, so hopefully we'll see you there and some new records and things like that. So, all right, on to today's show. Today on the show, my buddy, my pal, as I said off the top, Kevin Heggie is here. Kevin is someone who I knew... First, uh, from him working at Rotate This, which is, of course, the Toronto, legendary Toronto record store institution that comes up on this show a lot. <laughs> Anytime someone's from Toronto and then they're on the show, chances are Rotate This comes up. Kevin, you may have heard name dropped uh, a couple weeks ago by myself and by Peaches in the Peaches episode. Both of us are big fans of Kevin. And I think you will be too, because Kevin is very much, you know, the kind of person that, uh, it's kind of like us <laughs> listen to this podcast. He's someone who went out there and made a incredible twice. He's done this made two different documentaries about things that were in, for my mind, completely undocumented or at least never documented properly. Uh, he made a movie called she bops, which I said was about fifth column. He talks a lot about this film in, in this episode and, and uh, the mixed feelings involved in it now and things like that. So you'll hear about that in a second. But he's, his new film, Tramps, is just mind-blowing. It's a documentary about, I guess, the new romantic period of British music, which is a period just after punk, but it, it's very much connected to punk. And I'm, I'm explaining it to you because, you, you know, I'm sure most of you have heard of new romantic before, but until I saw this documentary, I had no idea what it actually was and what I thought it was and what it actually is are, are two very different things. So maybe you're in the same boat as me. Maybe you're, you're like Kevin and you're very well read on this era and you know about all this sort of stuff. And in that case, uh, hats off to you. But for me, I learned a shit ton from watching tramps and it is really a labor of love. And that's what I love when you see a documentary in a movie, you know, and you can tell the director is passionate about the subject they're covering. You know, and this, is, this obviously doesn't apply for political documentaries and, you know, other types of documentary. But in terms of music documentary, in terms of arts documentary, um, I, you know, not that, you know, you can't poke, uh, point out problems or things that you, you know, 
issues with the subject that you're covering, but at the same time, I want to see that passion from the director on the screen. And that really comes across in this tramps thing. Uh, it is premiering in North America, at least as part of the inside out film festival, it will be premiering on Tuesday, May 31st, which is a few short days from now. If you're listening to this thing, when it dropped, uh, originally, you can also check out a virtual screening, find out more information at insideout.ca, which, uh, it's on the, it's on the internet. It's on the World Wide web and check out tramps. And I think she bops hopefully will be available for viewing at some point in the near future too, because it's another film that's got tons of tons of stuff for people like us that listen to this podcast to dig into, you know, real music obsessives. <laughs> All right. I'm not going to ramble on because you're about to hear, uh, Kevin and I ramble on anymore. Pick up your tickets now for tramps and then sit back, relax and enjoy Kevin Heggie on Turned Out of Punk. Kevin K2, welcome to the show. <laughs> oh my God, thank you. I forgot about K2. That's hilarious. Well, that's the thing. I've known you for, for a very, well, we've known each other for a very long time now. And uh, recently I've gotten to see your latest film, Tramps. And as I told you over text, and I will tell you again, it is a phenomenal movie. And really much like your, your last film too, uh, your, your fifth column documentary opened my eyes to stuff I had no idea about. And so thank huh. you for that. And this is going to be a fun conversation because we've never had a conversation like this. Uh, no. And also, you know, everything about everything. So I'm totally delighted that you, there was something in there that you actually didn't know, because I feel like, you know, fucking every single thing about anything. So yeah. No, no, I'm, I'm constantly learning and I learned a shit ton, uh, from tramps. Like I really did learn a lot and, and was taking notes and, and have to watch it a second time to really kind of get granular with it. Oh my God. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. I'm still getting used to like, uh, people seeing it, it took so long to make. And like, I, I showed people like seven hour versions, four hour versions, 10 hour versions. Like my friends actually watched like the first cut we did was like 12 hours long or something. It was just oh. all usable material. But my editor and my producer were like, fuck you. And I was like, they thought I was like, at one point in time, it was going to be a miniseries. But uh, yeah, like that's kind of the only conversation they had around it. But since we worked on it for so long, um, those are the only like types of conversations of people critiquing it. So my friends are actually intimately involved with all the, the characters in the movie now. Um, but uh, now in terms of people watching the final product, like with the music in and like all the bells and whistles on there, it's totally weird um, talking to people about it because I love it and I'm excited to talk about it. Well, that's the thing is it's it's like a, a scene that, you know, not only did I know very little about, like I think this what I did know about it was completely misunderstood by me and stuff like that. So. Uh, I got to talk to you about seeing these uh, 12 hour cuts at some point, but before we get there, we got to start the way that this always starts, which is Kevin, how'd you get in a punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across it? Well, I, when I was uh, staring at the ceiling this morning, uh, I was thinking about you asking me that question. Cause I know that you ask it. And I was thinking like, um, for me, you know, it was like, my parents listened to a lot of fifties music, you know what I mean? So you hear mm -hmm. it in like the Shangri-Las or you hear it in like, um, 
I, I think it was just like a rock, like rock and roll, you know, the kind of like punk thing. Um, I guess, I guess like there was a lot of fifties rock and roll that was like punk for me, but like the term and the word, like I'm a suburban small town, like the place to come from is 5,000 people. My high school was 200 people. And, uh, so we're, you know, it was a pop punk situation. Okay. It was a green day situation. It was a fucking rancid situation. It was like, you know, no effects, dude. Uh, it, it was that sort of thing. Um, so, but then, but then somehow, and I don't know how, because my only outlet was like much music, of course, and like you and Peach talked about, like you had the new music and you had Sukin's show later. Sukin is punk as they come. Um, and I guess through that, I ended up finding out about older stuff, but I think, I think that my next step in it was, you know, the traditional UK punk stuff like the Sex Pistols and then blah, blah, blah. But that was really radical for me because, um, you know, I had my friends to this day, there's a, there's a reunion in my hometown and, uh, they still have like fat records t-shirts on and they only listen to no effects. They only listen to escape still. And I remember when I was in college, they would come and visit and I'd be like, let's watch Sid and Nancy. And they're like, Whoa, I didn't know punk existed, which sounds so menial now, but at the time I felt like I was really radicalizing them. Uh, in terms of like good stuff, Hold up, hold up. We don't. We, I don't. Let's not make a judgment call on the. On oh, the I'm not making stuff. a judgment call. I'm nope. not making a judgment call about the Sex Pistols. And to tell you the truth, if you want to talk about what I've learned, what I've learned through making Tramps, that's a whole fucking other movie. Um, the Sex Pistols stuff. But people, I tried to skip punk entirely, and I tried to go into like industrial music and and try and prove that like punk didn't really happen in the way that we've been told um by showing that uh, like donna summer was in the top of the charts and also like throbbing gristle were doing their thing and there's this whole there are so many things happening at the same time and we're always taught that things happen in chronology which is not the case and um and I, so i tried not talking about the sex pistols but everyone i talked to had a really emotional um connection with the band you know um they were really, really monumentally important to them and they were friends of theirs. So the way that they spoke about it wasn't in this like weird, jaded, post-hipster, you know, Canadian guy thing. It was really like the pistols, blah, 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 blah. like, you know, it was a first term thing. And that I'd never thought of them that way. And I realized it's such a conceited little dick. It's just like, you're like oh, the six pistols are just the pop band, you know, and like, the stories um, from people like kids just going around their house and be like, man, these guys are really sleepy. What's going on? They're like all on heroin and stuff and they didn't know, but they would invite them in like Mark Moore in the movie. He went by there and he showed me his Sex Pistols record signed by all of them. Um, they would just go around to their house and they would invite them in and hang out. And they were just kids who loved the band. And uh, so I don't know. It's, it's, it's a, uh, I'm not, I'm not throwing shade in the sex pistols. I have a new um, lease on my love for them. Well, that's what I find like, you know, disappears the further you get removed from something 
temporally is the nuance, you know, and like Sex Pistols are a band that seems like there is so much nuance, you know, especially to be someone that grew up around it as it was happening and knowing the people involved, you know, and that just like, you know, like in general, like New Romantic was something that I had a really broad strokes understanding of, but like, once again, like seeing it in your documentary, getting into like how it actually kind of came to be and what it actually was, it was like, oh, I didn't know any of the nuance. Well, I don't think that anybody really has ever talked about it, not to like toot my own horn, but like beep, beep or toot, toot. <laughs> like, you know, I, I didn't really know a lot about that, but I was kind of just looking at people like artists. I wasn't wanting to ever do a new romantic documentary. It was just that kind of the stuff that I liked around this, like Michael Clark, I was a huge fan. And um, that was just, that was just the kind of, seeing that was happening at the time the, the music but i was like not like i fucking listened to spando ballet you know um i'm not a big spando ballet guy my sister's like duran duran but you know and i don't even really listen to the culture club that much um but uh yeah the new the new romantic thing i think it's it's wild how um you know the media or whatever we, we, we just go along with it. It's like, you think that you know everything, you know? And then all of a sudden, I, you know, talking to these people. And I was really, like I said, focused on like people, like artists and, and diversity, to, to trying to diversify the um, idea of what was happening at the time. That it wasn't just like this pop thing, like Spanda Ballet and the Culture Club and um, Duran Duran. Actually, it was very similar to my time in like Toronto and like hanging out at the Beaver with people like Will Monroe and Louis Jacob and Joel Gibb and like, you know, and there were women there too, um, which is something that you don't, uh, yeah, you don't, you don't hear. So I kind of, um, it was amazing uh, learning. I was learning the entire time too. It's not like something I was like, the world has to know what the new romantics were really like it's it's so not even like that and like that's the thing like the blitz club and there's so many documentaries about that kind of thing and i didn't want to talk about the blitz club either because um imagine being asked about a bar you went to for like five minutes 20 years ago like it's that's not the point that's not the cool thing um the cool thing is how strange these people are and how resilient they are and and that goes beyond the new romantics, like if you watch the movie, like you did twice, um, you know, my research started at like, originally the movie was gonna start in 1964 um, because it was more about like squatting and kind of like communal art practice mm -hmm. and the appropriation of space. I was trying to be really hoity-toity about it. I was like, okay, Kevin, you have to make something, you know, smart. Cause the fifth column movie was just like, Meh. like band, cool band. And so I wanted to do something with more depth. And, and so that's why it starts with kind of like Andrew Logan and Derek Jarman and that kind of thing. So it's trying to familiarize the audience with the idea that these are people with peers on a plane. It's not echelons, it's not hierarchies or whatever until someone makes it that by focusing on one thing. So, I mean, even if Boy George was in the movie, my intention was to um, level the playing field. And so like making Derek Jarman, who's like this famous, famous, like, you know, he's like the king 
someone always has to be the king, the one thing you talk about. And he was that for his generation and for like gay, you know, experimental filmmakers is like, obviously like the guy. But, um, you know, I tried as best as I could to put him in uh, the same realm of peers as like Andrew Logan and Dougie Fields and his friends. And again, that was the first time I'd ever heard people going and Derek was it. I'm like, oh, okay, first name basis, Derek, Derek Garman. Okay. And that was really, really crazy because um, I really felt like a little boy the entire time talking. And when it comes to the punk stuff, oh my God. I mean, dude, I got to play you all the outtakes. Like there was some stuff that was happening. And I was just like, how is this happening right now? Like with Andrew and Sue from the Roxy, I was just like, is this really happening right now? Like, I don't know. I'm going, I'm going in all these different places. So maybe we'll talk about that in a, you know, when you want to, but oof. yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, I think, I think we were saying though, is people need to focus on a front person, you know, it's yeah. always like that with a band too, you know, and then in the yeah. same way, like movements and eras get whittled down to just like two or three voices and two or three stories. And that becomes the narrative. And it's, you know, like you mentioned, you know, boy, George is obviously featured a little bit, but for the most part, none of the stuff that's taken up as being quote unquote new romantic in popular culture makes an appearance in the documentary in any sort of big way. Like you don't have Spano de ballet. You don't have Duran Duran, you know, it's, 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 you know, once again, like the same way I think with punk, but even worse, more so where you have the sort of misconstruing of what was and wasn't part of the thing. Um, uh, yeah wait so what's the what are we talking about right now so um yeah i really it's weird because for me i was following a a chain of things that i was interested in that okay so there's a movie by charles atlas Mm -hmm. called hail the new puritan it is my favorite movie other than bruce the bruce's no skin off my ass um and i don't remember where I saw that first, but um, it, uh, everything and everyone in that movie and everything about it, like actually probably found out about it through the fall because the fall soundtrack, like the whole thing. And, um, and I, I love this idea of like, okay, the fall is collaborating with this like modern dancer guy. And then when you look closer, oh, and then the modern dancer guy is collaborating with body map and then, oh, body map are collaborating with Judy Blaine. And it just kind of like, the web just keeps on getting denser and denser. And like, that's the kind of shit that obviously fascinates you. Yes. And people like Bruce too, Bruce can just be like this person. Oh, they acted in that, but they produced that. And he knows like the entire web of it. So it's like certain personality type that gets stuck in that web. And um, so when it comes to stuff like Spana Ballet and everything, it's like, listen, uh, Martin Kemp or whatever his name is, he seems like a very nice guy. I watch him on Gogglebox. I watch him on TV sometimes. <laughs> um, but pe- people, okay, in terms of like there always has to be a front person, um, people are always like, now that it's playing in festivals, they're saying like, um, oh, it focuses on the lesser sung people or like it focuses on the queer. Duh, 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 duh. And I'm like, I didn't do that on purpose. I like, I didn't try to be like, let's focus on the lesser sung people. I was focusing on the people that I thought were the coolest. Like, I was like, oh my God, do you know about Judy Bellin? Oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Like, to me, they were fucking fireworks. Oh, 
I didn't mean that to be like a Katy Perry sounding thing. <laughs> I, I was just literally picturing a firework, firework, and also it's, there's been a lot of those. So, yes, uh, there has been a lot so, of those till late night last night too. Oh my god, lazy reference, but here we are. And um, and uh, so I just wasn't interested in Spendabala. I don't know. I just it just never even occurred to me. I didn't mean to like leave them out. There were things like um in full transparency um like i'm not a big visage person tell you the truth just i'm not and also steve strange didn't have my favorite looks didn't have a look that i was into but at the end of the day he is this guy at the center of the new romantics um and actually he's a pretty cool guy he's welsh and he's like super working class and apparently i was like one of the last people to talk to him before he died just through email um but uh, yeah, so like that kind of stuff, like Steve Strange would have been fucking bizarre if we didn't talk to him mm. um, or, or talk about him because he was so instrumental in connecting the dots. So when we, when we did put people like in, that in there, um, it was more about connecting the dots. When it comes to Spano Ballet, they didn't connect anything to anyone. All they connected was a bunch of straight dudes from fucking Northern England and uh, pop music radio, like, um, you know, it, it, there wasn't really any like depth or sort of like anything in, interesting about that. And Boy George is different because he is a part of dominant culture, but people don't know how interesting he is and how cool he is and how fucking punk, truly, truly, deeply punk he was and remains to be as far as I'm concerned. I love also like the way it situates the Sex Pistols in the documentary where they're not like, <clears throat> like they're almost like, instead of being the start of something mm -hmm. to me, they almost come as crosses, like the, the catalyst of something or the changing of something, which is sort of like what you mentioned earlier, like the sort of like sixties, British squat culture, sixties, British sort of like freak art culture for lack of a better term for sort of like an umbrella thing that was going on and how sex pistols was kind of like an outgrowth of that, that ultimately triggers a whole new kind of wave, but like, it really is, you know, in sort of a place in history. Yeah, well, I mean, I learned a lot about like pub rock and stuff. I didn't really know about that term. I didn't really like, <laughs> and it was kind of like people trying to get somewhere new, trying to make some, you know what I mean? They couldn't really yeah. make the noise, you know? And like, and they, and people were playing in pubs and getting kicked out of pubs and stuff. So there was a radicalism to pub rock and all that stuff as shitty as the, the pub rock sounds or whatever people were trying to get to punk and you know that's another thing that i i hate uh that's another thing i hate um is like people being like oh they were an art band they were they were conceived they were they were a concept they were conceptual like it's a bad thing and i'm like oh sorry you hate conceptual um gestures like that's you know like so i love the idea of them being presented as like an art thing and i love when john mabry in the movie says like you know it was mal when they played andrew logan's um studio which i think was their first actual show yeah um outside of the whatever university they played at um and uh he says like that was malcolm's thing he to plonk i love the word plonk that he's plunk them down in like an older generation. They weren't trying to be like, oh my God, yeah, it's like the youth. 
screw everyone that came before. They were actually kind of like, oh, no, let's play with these people who are like 20 years older than us at an art party that as that fucking like Andrew Logan and Derek Jarman's house, you know, like, <laughs> and that is amazing. How is that? How, how does that um, degrade their, uh, their, their value, you know, or like, or how interesting they are. I just, I think it's way cooler. Um, yeah. The Sex Pistols thing. Oh my God. Like, even God Save the Queen, like Mark Moore in the movie, he mentions at the beginning of the movie that he like was an orphan um, and his brother was older. So he was like at school or something like that. And he lived in a squat in King's Cross. And um, his brother was into punk and, and obviously wasn't called punk or anything. Um, and so when it came to like bank holidays and stuff like that, he didn't have anywhere to go. Everyone else went like, you know, like people he knew had families or whatever. He had nowhere to go. So he would listen to his brother's record when he records, when he was out and he had the God save the queen single just came out, never heard them. And he told me this story where he was like, I just heard it. And it was like, they were speaking to me. There's no future. There's no future for you. And I'm not getting goosebumps, even just thinking about it, like legitimate goosebumps. Um, because it was the first time I'd ever heard that kind of, you know, I don't know, what do you call something when it's a, a saying that's so gargantuan in our, our brains, you know, no, God save the queen. Um, it, it was part of the vernacular. Yeah. Like it's just yeah. like, a... yeah. And like, he basically was saying like that woke him up to being a person. Cause he was like, Oh my God, I'm not just like an orphan. Like, please say I want some more. He's like, Oh, I'm a punk. What? And then all of a sudden, there was a there was a language around his experience, and that fucking totally moved me. Um, that was that was my start of being like, oh my god, I love the Sex Pistols, <laughs> like mm -hmm. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, I think it's like I've come to kind of think of punk as being this thing where it's like these, it's like street rock and roll meets high concept sort of art. And it's sort of this like perfect marriage of the two and, and yeah, the sex puzzles kind of like, you know, embody that perfectly, you know, I mean, baggage aside with that band, there's obviously a lot of shit that went down in the dude. lonely boy by Steven Jones is probably the best song ever written. I love that song. Like, I mean, there's a lot of good that came out of that band, but like, you know, you never think of London or like the British punk. And that's another thing. Like I never thought of British punk being like, um interesting per se it was what it was bands are bands there's good bands but like i kind of and and i still kind of you know if we're going to talk about punk like i i lean towards the california punk thing because it was really arty it was art school it was like like i feel like the london thing was initially very like politicized very because of the uh, crazy class race everything fucked up situation in england in the uk mm -hmm. um and then california seemed more like just degenerates kind of you know almost like yeah like kind of like people who didn't have parents or like you know when you say art school it sounds so pretentious but it's like no arts arts in the way that they were like cut and paste and that sounds punk but it's you know what i mean it's not it's like art it's like 
yeah it's conceptual and it's it's weird there's no movie about like the weirdo like there you know we only hear about the dead kennedys or whatever or you know you never hear about all these other bands so there's there's no end to like the fucking um static you know around what we know about all this stuff and um so it's interesting you know for me to have these renewed ideas about people like the Sex Pistols who kind of just, you know, often squash the rest of the conversation. But I was like, oh, well, no one's actually ever said this, you know, about them. And it's crazy because the footage that you see of them briefly in the movie is shot by Derek Jarman on his Super 8 camera yeah. in Andrew Logan's house <laughs> at that actual show. And I was like, what the fuck? And I guess some Julian Temple used it in his, uh, what was his movie called? Rock and Roll Swindle. But I, I don't remember that. Um, so, I, yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Well, it's amazing how, um, yeah, like just like when you break down this band outside of the mystique and just kind of look at them as being like, as you're saying, this, this band that was friends with people at the time, this band that exists. Like there's just like a, a band that could constantly be reassessed, you know, on well, a, for a person. I mean, everything, like everything. Malcolm McLaren, like Andrew and sue and that whole thing like there's so much i want to tell you um you know she had a bunch of shops before sex and seditionaries like you know she had a teddy boy shop and she you know there was she'd been doing her thing but it was really like again vivian you know like she was like one of the people and was like i'm a huge Vivian westwood fan and um like in a fashion way and um when they were talking about Shigaramas, the bar that turned into the Roxy, which, you know, it doesn't get more iconic than that in terms of like British punk. Again, I'm getting, I still have been talking about this for fucking 10 years. I'm still getting shivers when I think about it because it's crazy that it was like a, a gay bar where people were like mafia people went to pick up like trans people. I don't know. Mm. And, um, and also the fact that like, oh God, you get into Don Letts and the fact that the sex bills doesn't even exist. And then the dance, the whole reason that the fucking Roxy exists is because Andrew was managing the damned who didn't even have a name yet and uh, needed a place for them to play, <laughs> you know? And that didn't end up in the movie, which is like earth shattering to me, but like um, those stories about Generation X, and the damned and him just trying to find a place and then kind of accidentally getting owning the venue because the other guy didn't pay his bills or whatever and he just needed to dump it on someone else and andrew was like an accountant so he um kind of accidentally took it on and then and then of course you know there's this famous clash show that happened and um i think generation generation x actually played a show with the Roxy before the monumental, you know, class show that kicked off everything as they say in the movie. But um, I might be wrong, but uh, I don't know. Just like fucking being in someone's house that has like the original, like the original piece of paper that says, you know, 1977, da, 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 da. And you're like, what the actual fuck? Like, is this real life? Like, 
you know, and that's, um, I guess that's not really a feeling I ever really had before in talking about British punk. Like it was, it always, it felt like a fable or like something that you kind of almost dismiss or I did um, in terms of its tangibility. And so to be around that kind of thing, it, it really made me feel like, oh my God, like, am I here? Is this, mm. you know, like it, it was crazy. And maybe you've probably met a lot of like old school people like that, but I mean, to, I don't know. It, 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 it was such a direct contact with the origin story. I felt really, really, really like, holy shit, like really, really mind blowing stuff. And again, it's this first name basis thing, but the way that these guys talk, it's just like, it's just like uh, chatter about their friends. You know what I mean? And it's, it's really exciting. It was really exciting to hear all that shit and gave me a new appreciation on a lot of things, but also Andy, Andrew and Sue, after the Roxy, they started a thing called the fridge. They also had the first, they put on the first ever pet shop boys show. Whoa, dude, I'm freaking out right now. Even just saying this out loud. And they had, he came, he brought me the flyer. It was on a green piece of paper. And I was like shaking. I was like, he's like, you can't photograph it. Cause we want to put it in a book or whatever. And I was like, uh, this is my favorite band. I don't know. And it was Pet Shop Boys and like maybe like Bronski Beat or something. Like it was like two big bands, and Pet Shop Boys were like opening. Dude, I'm freaking out. I can't. I can't even believe that that's the case. It's crazy. They had like Smith's poster from like they booked a Smith show. They had a fucking giant D Light poster because they booked them like it was just like walking around the house it's um it's amazing in fact i'd love to introduce you if you ever next time you're in london it'd be so fun for you guys to meet oh that'd be amazing i'd love to do that thank you uh, well it's it's funny how like you know this this like you were saying earlier people are kind of like f- messing around with this stuff way trying to find punk before it happens you know and like and then so once it does happen it's like all this energy is kind of released at once and all the people that are close to it are just kind of sent off and like you're saying like vivian westwood you know is trying to find a thing you know in terms of launching her career and then punk happens and and she you know creates this fashion empire out of it you know or like you know uh, derek jarman and and you know all the people that went up doing film from it you know all the people that went up doing art from it like it's just amazing how this sort of energy people are waiting for it and then once it happens it's almost like they have permission to start clubs. They have permission to kind of like do everything they've been wanting to do. Well, that's kind of like what I hoped or what I wanted to kind of like put in the movie was kind of this idea of like passing the baton or kind of like recognizing youth culture in your elders. Like I very much think this is a movie about youth culture just because they're elders now to us. What When we're talking, <laughs> it's about fucking youth. You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. and their energy, it's, it's so, um, there, there's this, and, and, and Judy Blame says it in the movie. He says like, you know, if you have a younger person, you know, help them out. Like, and he said, Derek Jarman did that to him. He like took him under his wing, you know, and I've had that in my life with people that have kind of been like, okay, you're just like this annoying young person doesn't know anything, but you, I'll tell you, I'll answer all your questions. Like, you know, when I first met Bruce, I just kind of stalked him and I sat down next to him at a bar and I was like, um, can I ask you a question about 
um, Officer White. He was like, yeah. I mean, he loves talking, you know, kind of stuff. So um, that went really well. But um, I don't know. There's, I, I wanted there to be this idea of like generations nurturing generations. Yeah. Wanted to encourage that idea because I've been so lucky with that. And also, you know, in that respect, staying away from the kids these days narrative that always fucking happens or people saying there was no internet. You know, like none of that matters. Kids these days are wicked. That's that's what kids these days means. Kids are wicked. That's newness. Sure, it's different. Sure, it looks different. Sure, they know less. Sure, they know differently. But like, I'm not going to complain about kids these days. So I wanted to show that way that 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 generations can nurture each other rather than being like, they don't know what it was like. Um, because with movies like this, it's kind of what you want to do, right? You kind of want, of course, you want younger people to be interested in it and, and, and have it be exciting for them as much as you want people who are of that generation and know the new romantics that's when things get boring is when you pander to you know um pander to those those narratives that are already kind of like developed that's what i found fascinating when you had that part about how you know the face and id which to me are kind of like the kickstarters of like you know what begets almost like vice part of vice, you know, in that oh, whole sure. world, you know, for like sure. coming out of this thing too, like how Ooh. you do have that direct connection between the first wave of zines, like sniffing glue to, yeah. to vice kind of through this scene. Yeah. They were zines. You know what I mean? Like, um, yeah. I mean, the ID thing is crazy. Um, I, I wish that I had them all. It's it's so annoying because they're like 80 pounds if you go into the, if you see them at shops and they're everywhere. Like, they're just like fucking mocking you. Like, buy me, buy me. Like, it's like you, like at Rotate when you're like, oh my God, that's seven inch, I need to pay. Like, I wanna. It's like, I, I never take the jump because there's like a million issues. You know what I mean? So to start yeah. I'm just hoping that through this movie that people start giving me I like those things. If anyone's listening and if you include this in the podcast, my name's Kevin Hagee. Please give me your original copies of ID magazine. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's, oh man, that, that magazine is like pretty incredible because um, it, it, it was really a small community of people. So the same people were in the magazine over and over and over and over again. And most of those people are in my movie. Mm -hmm. um, when I was there recently, um, Jeffrey Hinton, who was the, the resident DJ at Lee Bowery's Club Taboo, um, and also made these amazing films called um, Scratch Films that were basically just like compilate, like like compilation movies, VHS movies. <clears throat> um, so he was an artist too, but I took him into this shop that's called, my friend showed me called Waste. It's a cool kind of skater, punky, arty um, <clears throat> store, consignment type store by these guys just open. And um, they had all these ID magazines in there, again, mocking me. And I was with Jeffrey and I was like, oh my God, I just, I saw you in this issue of ID magazine in this store, which is like <clears throat> very grassroots, cool store. So we went together and looked at Jeffrey when he was a kid and he's like, oh my God. And it was talking about how video was the new thing, which is amazing. And uh, and how Jeffrey was at like the center of that in terms of art. And um, <clears throat> the cute little 
person who owns the shop or whatever was like excited to watch us happen in front of him and knew the idea was a cool thing, but he didn't really understand. You know what I mean? It was like, he was a lot younger. And I think he just, you know how when people just think something is cool and they don't, again, there's no tangibility to it. There's not a proximity. None of the nuance. There's none of the nuance. And um, Jeffrey's like, that's me. <laughs> and like, um, the stories are just fucking crazy. And like, that's the thing about this movie is I, I, I wish I was still making it. I, I don't want to say that actually, because I'm so over <laughs> making it. Um, but like, there's just more and more and more and more. If you keep on listening, there's just more and more and more and more and more. Like we were going through the ID magazine and I wish we had it when we shot the film. Cause like Jeffrey's like, Oh my God, that was the time that we went down to Brighton with Lee Bowery and we all dressed as Lee Bowery. And then, you know, we got hammered and we ruined this and we did that. And da, 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 da. Like there's just so many crazy stories that I just need to, I need to know them all. Well, it's like the idea, I guess, of living your art, you know, and that these were people that were like, not just making art, but the idea that like they were art on some level or like, well, that's the whole life thing. was a performance. Mm-hmm. That's the whole thing. It's like, yeah, I had to write about that recently. And it kind of alludes to it in the movie where John Mabry's like, you know, they had no product, but they were famous. And, you know, now that is just the way fame works. Most of the most famous people in the world don't actually have any sort of shred of talent or anything like that. But they've monetized it differently, right? Like these are now people are not, they don't have the talent, but they do have the business end figured out a lot better, yeah. it seems. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, I think that's really like what the new romantics were doing. They were kind of like, <clears throat> well, we want to be famous, you know? So like they, uh, it, it, it's weird because people always want to know why now? Why now? Why does it matter now? And I never really thought about that was not my intention with the movie at all to be like, and it's just like um, Instagram. And I would have got a lot more fucking money if I did say it was like Instagram or if I did say it was like Kim Kardashian or whatever. I saw a movie recently, documentary, um, that I noticed there was a lot of the funders that I didn't get in there. And I was like, hmm, you can't help but be bitter. And, um, <laughs> and uh, but then at the end of the movie, the person ended up, the movie that the documentary was about it's in a great it's a great documentary i'm trying to be i'm trying to be like elusive about it but it's the sinead o'connor documentary nothing compares to you or something yeah it must uh, be that and uh it's called nothing compares or nothing compares to you it's a really amazing uh documentary it has so much unseen footage including john mabry who shot the nothing compares to you video iconic video and album cover um and uh, wait, what was I talking about that? Oh yeah, so she she got this funding, great, good for her. But like at the end of her movie, and I do mean, I, I, I just naturally sound cynical, but I, I'm actually, I loved the movie and I, I loved the filmmaker I met her. She was amazing. And it was a really daunting, daunting, crazy thing that she did. Um, but at the end she talks about like Ariana Grande and like, I don't know, like Kardak, I don't know, like people situated it kind of more in the now, and they were kind of talking about like, well, you know, girl power is like all because of Sinead O'Connor. And I'm like, okay, that's a, that's a bit of it. I love, listen, I fucking love Sinead more than the next guy. I assure you. And uh, I was like, that's a bit of a stretch. But again, that's the cool thing about documentaries is you can just say whatever you want. 
Yeah. There's well, total falsities in this movie. There's total falsities in my fifth column movie too. Most of it's lies. And I'm like, <laughs> make your own movie. Make your own movie. Because there were people with fifth column that were like, that's not true. That's not true. And I'm like, make your own movie. And I'm like, this is what I said in my movie. It's true now. And that's how history works. Well, it seems like your last project would have been much more difficult because at the end of the day, it's it's a bunch of different opinions about the same entity. Whereas this is, you know, you're kind of constructing the narrative uh, by pulling all these sort of threads together, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I was really scared about that because it's like, like, I didn't think of it chronologically so much. And then it got towards the end once we'd edited the shit out of it, like, and you know, you'd get feedback from people. They'd be like, well, I'm lost in the dates and the times. And I'm like, oh, dates and times. Shit. <laughs> and then we went to actually try and put the dates in there. And it was just like 1984, 1979. Like it was just like all over the place. Mm-hmm. And then eventually we just took them away and hoped that nobody noticed. And I was so worried that everyone in the movie would be like, that's not true. That happened first. Something about the British people, I think, also just don't give a shit about those details. Like we're in North America, I think everyone's like, I was there and that's not what happened. And me, 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 me. Like at least with the fifth column thing, I still get those messages of people being all cranky about the timelines and them being there and everything. And I'm like, oh my God. Like, so that's why the movie kind of tried to follow like, um, be tangential. I think tra- tangentially. And I think that the movie is kind of like that too. And um, follows more of an emotional thing. Like you get to the thing and then like, oh, and then, actually let me tell you about body map okay now we'll now we'll get back to punk you know like allowing it to jump around like that and kind of like completely um disengage with this kind of like format formula of chronology or whatever i can't remember if that was a question or why i'm talking about this but no it was it was just about how the differences between the two different movies and the experiences making a movie about a band versus a movie about a scene yeah yeah with the band it was really like detail oriented let's just say <laughs> it's, it's funny too though it's it also i think speaks to you know you're making scenes of you're making movies sorry about very different cultures or scenes that are happening in very different countries and i think they're happening at the same time that's the weird thing is a fifth yeah. thing and this we're happening at the same time yeah it's weird how something feels you know so much more dated than than the other you know and one feels like out of step more with time than the other and well, which I one guess, do you think feels out, out of step well i think i think i think the canadian thing just growing up in canada that feels always more dated to me because i can place everything exactly when it was because you know i knew like you know yeah, yo-yo you gang was clubs and you recognize like well and yo-yo gang was filmed in my neighborhood growing up no so way. yeah so i recognize like riverdale you know and i recognize like all these like you know that corner store and stuff and so there's you know it's, it's oh one my of those God, th- that's amazing yeah like so it just but whereas watching this it's like oh i'm trying to place it in time and it's only when they're dropping references to like musicians or i'm like okay that must be before culture club had had songs on the radio you know and i'm just trying to place it in my own mind because it does have that kind of like out of otherworldly quality to it. Yeah. It's like, to me, it's very like fable. Like, I mean, the, the fifth column thing was too, because I, I love mythology. I love rock and roll mythology. I don't want to know the gritty truth, you know, like with fifth column, at least I didn't, you know, I liked the idea. Like who is Jimmy Johnson? What, 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 you know? Yeah. 
that's why in the movie that movie they're all in like parks or weird like places you know what I mean? <laughs> did they pick the locations because they're in like the most completely different spots to do the interviews in that um it was like i either i kind of put them in a place where i um kind of, i i had um projected on them as like extensions of their personality as like a caricature of their personality so i knew that with gb jones i wanted it to be like a clandestine sort of meeting in a park like an old-fashioned like you know like a street lamp over top of a bench where you meet someone to put down a paper bag and then you kind of <laughs> go and then they take a bit break. but like um turns out those don't exist by the way um this this iconic idea of at least to me of a park bench underneath the fucking light you would think that would be commonplace not the case um we had to go to high park it was actually a crazy story we had to go to high park um find a park bench and then we had one light because we had no money story of my life and um my dp victor um we had this one light and he would kind of like put it on the bench and gb you know has never been on camera outside of her own lens there was a lot of pressure going on and you could just see all the the fucking trees behind it was just like you know it's like a flat lighting thing and i was like this is a nightmare everything's ruined um <clears throat> when i kind of like had a hissy fit and like kicked the light and it kind of like fell like just like like directly down and i was like oh my god how do we not think about that because it, it looked like she was sitting underneath the fucking park bench with the thing so that was really funny and the something i didn't know is that the area we were in you could hear like rustling around it was a cruising area <laughs> there were guys having sex all in the park around us and i was like how appropriate is this it was amazing um yeah yeah I think mythology i can't remember but um I th- yeah i think it might be the only music documentary in history that doesn't have anyone being in- interviewed in front of a wall of records oh my god Oh yeah, yeah. That's oh, I guess that's what we're talking about is like who who selected the thing and yeah. I mean, oh my god, you should you would should see Bruce's record collection. You would probably I have in vinyl. I've seen a little bit of it in vinyl, <laughs> dude. That I made it. I should send you that. I have. I made a gif out of that where he goes, um, these are my records, <laughs> and no, what does he say again? Alan goes, we'll say something about them, and he goes. <laughs> Here are my records. <laughs> like, <laughs> but anyways, now I mean, I don't know. He, he he's a lot more punk. Like, even I listen to your um your thing with him, and I think that he doesn't really know how to contextualize all the bands that he, he knows or everything. Like he also used to um record all the shows he went to. So all of the bands that came to Toronto and played the Masonic Temple, maybe was that a big one? Like yep. Yeah, like, like even like the BC Boys first show, like way into the into that era, like he saw everything, you know, like buttholes or like anything, you know, and then all the early shit too, like he he brought his recorder to every fucking show, so he has like a box of like original <laughs> bootleg live recordings of these bands. You're just like, what the fuck? It's 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 mind blowing, but um, 
yeah, I know. Like Bruce, we put in the strip club. I don't know. And then my friend was dancing behind him. It was just like, oh God, <laughs> do we have him in there or not? I don't know. Yeah. I and then, um, and then Caroline, ugh, that's a whole other thing. Um, so basically, and then there were some people I didn't know anything about and I'd be like, well, I don't really know anything about you. So like, where should we put you? And like, so we put, uh, um, oh my God, someone on the beach. Charlotte, Charlotte on the on the beach because she was a surfer. She showed up in her rip curl gear and like, <laughs> yeah, oh my god, it's sort of embarrassing, but maybe amazing too. And then, um, and then there was a couple of people we just shot in the um, hen house, which is like a lesbian bar. When there used to be lesbian bars, um, it was a great one in Toronto, probably the last one. And um, and that was just because my friends owned it and I had nowhere to shoot. <laughs> it it, it kind of makes sense though because like everyone kept saying how different all the people were in the band that they would be yeah. in such completely different backgrounds and like you know it really illustrated the fact that these you know because it, it's funny it wasn't until i watched that documentary that i realized like oh yeah they did have that brush with fame kind of moment sort of yeah and it, and it was just like i guess it was a little late for them in terms of like you know your band life cycle and and also it just seems like yeah personality wise they were very different people and that makes it difficult to kind of you know as we were talking about off air coexist in a band at times oh god yeah i mean you think that fucked up has problems <laughs> the cutting room floor of if let me tell you <laughs> it is just bombs everywhere it's a nightmare that movie was total lies it was all lies because they had such a huge control over everything i did and they were it was very very bad experience but um so the movie that's why the movie just ends up being like if calm we're cool and then like you know and and they were i think it's cool because like i said i love rock and roll mythology so i'm fine with the fact that it's live i'm fine that it makes them look cool because i thought they were cool and um before i made it and um and, you know, but a lot of the bickering, the band bickering, it's so toxic and just like, and so alive still, you know, but uh, unfortunately we couldn't really be honest about anything in that movie. So I love that about the new movies. I, I think that, I think that the new movie is really like therapy movie for me. And actually it was definitely therapy in terms of like, like when I was just kind of having the idea of it, because I really needed to regain some faith in like, um, like people that I respected. And um, so that's why also I think Tramps is more of an honest movie, you know, like <clears throat> at the end, you know, it's not, there's not any like, and we're famous and da -da -da -da. it's like shit happens, life is hard. All these people are dead whatever we're still here what you know what i mean like it's kind mm -hmm. of like a shrug of an ending but that's what i love about it and i and i love that the diversity of people and in, in the movie a lot of them you know we talk about success and failure and like even with the fifth column thing when you're like oh they had a brush with fame well did they i mean like in the movie it says like oh and all of a sudden they were on the cover of all the magazines it's like what magazines like depends you know what i mean like you got to kind of contextualize stuff. I'm being really shady. It sounds like I'm being really shady about them because I do love the band. Um, but it's just, 
these narratives of fame and this and that. Well, at the time, at the time, they they kind of like those were the metrics for success, right? Oh, for like, sure. certainly as a Canadian yeah. band, like to be on the cover of chart, it's like, oh my god, now it's like, yeah. oh my gosh, you've made it. Yeah, now magazine. Yeah, <laughs> now magazine who has no uh, music editor or like all the film people have retired and it's owned by a condo company things and change we reached out to them to to write about tramps and they were like no we don't do our our culture i'm like oh great great job you've done with uh turning toronto you know for the better it's so sad well i think that's the thing that i loved is also like contrasting the two movies in terms of like as you're saying they take place in the same time just the way there's no we don't romanticize i guess there's not a lot of romance in canada the idea that we don't really romanticize our past yeah. in the same sort of way no we don't um god i was writing about this recently too and i, I had some brilliant way of saying it um it was like we don't celebrate our histories you know and you know like when you look at people like um will monroe mm-hmm you know, we don't ever celebrate our artists when they're alive, especially gay ones. You know, they have to be dead. Lee Bowery, you know, he was on TV and stuff like that, but now he's like a fucking, for the gays, he's a household name, you know? Mm. And, um, but not when he was alive, only when he died of AIDS, you know, like, and 20 years later, like, but Canada is like that with everyone, not just the gays. You know, it's just like, we just don't value. We just, we've decided that it's Neil Young. And that's the way it's going to stay. Yeah. Jennifer Castle is one of the greatest Canadian songwriters that has ever existed on par, I think, with Joni Mitchell or whoever. But nope, we have Joni Mitchell, so let's just keep it that way. And let's not celebrate anyone until, I don't know, who's the, uh, you know, Sean Mendes. Sure, that's great. He's alive. We love him. Yeah, well, that- I don't know anything about him, but he seems like Peter <laughs> Pudi and... Good on you. And that's because Canada wants to be on the map. You know what I mean? It's not because Canada wants to celebrate artists that are, you know, like, it's not like Joni Mitchell, you know, like if she was out now, people would be like, oh yeah, we're celebrating her. They probably would fucking ignore her because she's not uh, radio fodder. Yeah, well, that's... Like you know. Right now, what I'm saying, like this, like, but it's it's definitely true it annoys the shit out of me because so many of my friends have been in such incredible you know uh are just I, so many of my friends you know as you know like from the rotate days and for my entire life have been so incredibly um there's so much great work out there whether they're in bands or or artists or whatever and it's really really frustrating to to see them just have to kind of like dwindle away Unless like Peaches goes to fucking Berlin and then all of a sudden everyone's like, oh, okay. Oh, she's an export. <laughs> it's like, well, why do you think she had to export herself? Because no one gave a shit here. And Bruce actually talked about it too, like with the whole thing that happened with um, Fifth Column, which again, that story isn't in the movie and that's the whole thing. Um, the tall poppy syndrome, which, you know, is like, when one flower grows taller than the other ones, they want to cut it down. And that's very Canadian thing. It's a very like very Toronto thing. Very Toronto thing. Yeah, yeah. And it's so sad because I mean I think that you guys as an organization, if 
fucked up or like one of the only people who you you do operate like a like a um what do you call it a collective and 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 you've had success out of it like you know you guys are still fucking putting out records and playing shows to people who sing your songs to you like when i go to fucked up show it's like adorable the relationship with the audience is like a very unique thing um but i think that's really rare i think that's really rare where people kind of are able to shine a light or or like bring people into the into the circle um and celebrate them it doesn't really happen in canada i feel like it's, or it's really hard to i'm not even just shitting on like canada and toronto and everything i'm just saying like there are so many elements working against people being able to do that in the first place. It's not entirely, you know, Toronto's fault or whatever. Well, it is actually, because Toronto makes it impossible. There's no available space. There's nowhere for people to live. There's nowhere people can afford to live. There's nowhere people can play uh, shows that aren't in like the three bars and they're all bar. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's a, it's a nightmare. There's no, and that's the thing about places like London is that there's there's such a variety of places to you know it's have things happen and there's still like you know like london right now like i say one of the most vibrant kind of punk scenes that's kind of happening right now is, is is there yeah yeah i mean they have that festival and um um yeah yeah there's a bunch of good like wasn't the guy from chubby or whatever on your show yeah and his dad did all the animation in the great rock and roll swindle what yeah are you serious yeah yeah and his mom directed uh ghost watch you know ghost watch that weird british horror thing that got banned and for Ooh. all i'll tell you about that later i'll send you a link to it it's, it's well really i love that whole video nasty thing too like uh yeah. all the horror are banned. there's a documentary on bbc right now called what's her name mark whatever the woman's name who was behind all that there's a documentary about her. Um, oh, I gotta see this. Neutering, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, I think it's called Band, the story of Mary, what's her face, whatever her name is, like a four part miniseries, and it's hilarious, hilarious. The people that were, um, they have a lot of gays like, um, doing actions against her when, when they were really radical, like the radical fairies and stuff like that. That's another thing that was supposed to be in the movie was all the South London. The South London thing was actually really, really grassroots, like political, because the radical fairies all squatted down there. Mm. It was all different vibes. But um, yeah, they would do stuff like disguise themselves and be in the Houses of Parliament and then like throw gay porn down. <laughs> Like in the middle of the thing, they would dress like nuns, and they were like actually men, like and like, and then they would throw down gay porn on on uh, all these people that were trying to ban like um, you know, the gays or whatever, and then that turned into horror. I always thought the video nasties was like was like porn, but it's not. It's horror movies. Um, yeah, right. Yeah. And the, and they went on for a very long time. And what was, and wasn't even just horror movies, right? Like eventually, it was just like smut, just anything, anything with smut. Yeah, anything. Yeah, yeah, anything. Yeah. I yeah. guess Clockwork Orange became one, a big one. Yeah. Yeah. Clockwork Orange was banned, wasn't it? Wasn't it well, one of the things? Kubrick voluntarily banned it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to open my window. I don't know if it'll be too loud, but it's just like, it's so hot in here. Um, is that bad? Can you hear in your mic? Can you hear like birds or anything like that? Okay. No. Um, yeah. That's right. He voluntarily. Yeah. What a crazy place. I don't understand because they're so naughty. 
you know we had we had a government censor here in canada for a long time right like uh that girl the Rose- yeah that girl was banned and like I they said the rosedale library had a lot of shit with stuff being seized at the border oh wow yeah i mean um bruce's movies were uh seized at the border yeah and destroyed and destroyed they just destroyed them like how terrifying is that speaking of not celebrating your artists you know what i mean like why is bruce like why is bruce in this area where he you know is not celebrated by canada as one of our you know most i don't know a really good a really good part of our history our artistic history because we don't like subversive well i say we but i mean like they don't like subversive culture here you know and it's it's very much a company town like i was thinking about that listening to cbc you know or, or just any radio you know and just like the amount of stuff that's like you know the fact that we don't have like when you look at somewhere like england and just like the amount of sonic range they have hmm. on their airways like it might not all be stuff i like and there's surely stuff that's not being played on there but yeah but also i have the is. history of like top of the pops and stuff like that where it, it was based on charts but charts you know but you would see amazing bands on yeah. tv it's like yeah. Castle, like when she did her solstice show online um last year because of covid she does a, a a show every year around Christmas, but it's for the solstice. Um, and uh, she's been doing it for years and years and years. And it's one of my favorite times of year, Christmas, and also the Jennifer Castle Christmas. Um, but I was watching it last time and maybe I was just being like angry or it's not really possible to be angry when you're listening to Jennifer Castle. But um, I was like, why isn't this a Canadian every year? Jennifer Castle on the CBC, a time-honored tradition. Every year, Christmas, you know what I mean? Like, why, why isn't there that kind of thing? What? I don't know. It's just like, it just, it's just, there, yeah, you're right. There's no through lines unless you're kind of like a corporation or you're like a, if there's a business model and there's a business person that's putting you on TV, you know, that's the only way that you can get there. And not that being on TV is probably in Jennifer's cast, uh, Jennifer's like agenda, I'm just like putting all of this weight on her, but um, you know what I mean? Well, even like you look at Drake, you know, and Drake had to go to America to, to yeah. break. Started on the bottom, went to America. Yeah. Like he was, and he was on TV up here already on Degrassi, you know, and it's still, yeah. it was like, anytime you want to do something new, Stephen Page was on from the Bare Naked Ladies and was talking about how anytime you want to do something that wasn't, the american version of something that already existed or the canadian version i should say sorry of something that already existed yeah you were going to meet resistance and it's like you said with peaches you know like how peaches had to go to berlin to do it and peaches was in a band with him or wait didn't you sit on <laughs> no they did musicals they did high school musicals together right that is <laughs> hilarious i found out so much about peaches a close friend of mine oh as you as you know because you guys i literally like was floored emotionally hearing that I, I it just that speaking of like an out-of-body experience like thinking of yourself as like a kid and trying to get into bands and then in toronto when you're really excited about everything and then i'm hearing beaches say that about me and i'm like of course we talk all the time but i'm still a fan you know yeah. Yeah. Fan. So, and, and 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 even beyond the fandom thing like just the the sweetness of that was i was just like holy shit i never saw that coming and it was like monumentally uh whatever to me but 
Yeah, Stephen Page. I I learned a lot about her through your episode. Actually, I was just like, I didn't know that she was actually in a band with Andy Stochansky, who is Ana DeFranco's drummer. And full disclosure, I don't hate Ana DeFranco. I think that it's misogynist that people, you know, fucking hate on her so much because she's a really good songwriter. And like, punks can go fuck themselves if they disagree. But um, yeah, that's a weird thing. He's from Toronto, and he was in. I think that Peaches played with him or. There's a connection there too. I shouldn't have said all that because it had nothing to do with your episode. And now I love Ani DeFranco. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever. Okay. I don't care. Well, you know, it, 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 uh, I had no idea about that Ani DeFranco Peaches connection, you know, now. I know. I don't know if, I don't know if they have, I don't know. I don't think, I don't know if that crossed over, but. Now you can connect uh, uh, at the drive-in and Beto O'Rourke to uh to Ani DeFranco you know? wait what was the thing with at the drive-in well uh at, Cedric from at the drive-in and Beto O'Rourke played in Foss together and Foss oh. did a tour with Placebo Feist's old band who was in the band with Peaches who now we have the connection to Ani DeFranco wow we're making Canadian history here <laughs> there <Foss>. you go <laughs> <laughs> the webs we weave the webs we weave yeah yeah yeah. that's crazy how did you get the job at rotate because that was where i first met you and that was obviously the coolest place to work imaginable i think brian thought i was hot (laughs) i I mean i wish that someone else thought i was hot since then it's not going so well but um i don't know i don't know i i had been in there i think i dropped off i don't know if i dropped off the resume but i was in there and the phone rang at the front desk and <laughs> Kevin Yonke was like, K1, K- KJ. Um, that was why I was K2, because it was KJ. And he was like, this for you. And I was like, what? And then it was Brian in the back being like, did you hand in a resume? And I was like, yeah. I don't think I actually did though. And uh, he asked me where I would file um, and you will know us by the trail of the dead. And I was like, eh, I guess, because and is like part of the title. And then like the, the band, you know, and he asked me the band, and I was like, you know, S. And he was like, okay. And he asked me what records I was listening to. And it was like totally pop music. It was like Bjork, Apex Twin. You know what I mean? It was like yeah. <laughs> that kind of thing. So I don't know how I got hired at a cool record store because it didn't really have that like interesting of tastes going back to you know when you were in high school you mentioned uh, all your friends being into no effects and stuff you know that was you know obviously pretty popular but it certainly wasn't mainstream music back then were like a lot of kids that went to your school into that oh yeah weird because it like outside of southern california it was never i don't never felt like at least around people i knew never felt like the dominant thing i didn't know that I thought it was. I thought like Lagwagon, no effect, like all the fat. I thought that they were. Again, like I had a total disconnect. Like, b- even though much music was around and stuff, it's not like you saw fucking no effects videos in there. You're right. No, no. But like Pavement and stuff. Like I in grade nine, I met like my best friend in high school, and she gave me a, a cassette that she'd recorded of Pavement, and it was. Uh, not slanted and enchanted which is the one before it westing or something anyways really shitty sounding record and um 
she was like yeah they like recorded this in the garage and i thought because i was listening to like nine inch nails slim motherfucker and uh she she was like oh they recorded it in the garage and i didn't really have any concept of like making records in the garage you know what i mean i you know i never pictured sonic youth recording something in a garage i pictured them as sonic youth you know what i mean yeah and um I thought it was a secret. I thought it was our special thing. I thought that she gave me this special thing. And then I would like go to Toronto and they were playing at the Phoenix or whatever. And I'm like, wait, other people know about our band? I had no idea because we didn't have college radio or anything like that. Like there was no, the only, the only thing close to that was Brave New Waves. Yeah. Yeah. Brave New Waves was, I guess the, uh, that was like our, our, that was like our, uh, every, cool bbc show all rolled into one in terms I mean, of a national the greatest thing. possible thing speaking of canada and everything we're saying where's brave new waves now they got rid of it because that's what canada does and i used to stay out like was it on every night i think it was on it was like from midnight until four or something it was like the weirdest thing and i would stay up with the, my dad's tape deck you know in the stereo and like waiting for them to mention something and i Oh, God, I wonder where that fucking... I have some tapes still from Brave New Waves, and there's bands that I'm still hunting down. This band Gilded Lil, this Scottish band that apparently only existed for, like, one second. And they're kind of, like, um, weird, gross, like, um, like, 90s... I don't know how to describe it. Grunge, but, like, like, Scottish grunge but meets like Cole and all that stuff. Like this girl singing like really like a Banshee. And it was like the weirdest band, but the song used to make me fucking go crazy. And I spent years and years trying to find who they were. And I'm like, Gilded Lil, Gilded Lil. Couldn't find anything. And then uh, some dude put one of the songs on YouTube. Yeah. So I wrote him on YouTube. I didn't even know that was a possibility. And I asked, I got him to rip me the record and send me the record. Um, but that's how deep the cuts were on, on fucking Brave New Ways. And hi, this is Patty Schmidt. Was that her name? Patty Schmidt? I'm trying to remember because there was like a couple different hosts, right? Craig Brent, was one uh, of them. Brent, what's his face? Brent was, yeah. Um, anyways, I don't know, man. That was like, that's what made me cool. That's what, that was why by the time I got to college and stuff like that, I wasn't just listening to like Nine Inch Nails and stuff. There, there, I guess now I'm just realizing that now. That's how I found out about most everything. And the amazing thing was she'd play drum and bass and she'd play fucking weird punk and she'd play, you know, like just just jazz and like the, yeah. everything. So for a person like myself, like I would never call myself a punk. I would call myself punk, but I would never call myself a punk because I think that being a punk is like you sign on to the community and it's a give and take relationship, you know, and you're whatever but like having a punk ethos is obviously very different and that's what i think brave new waves was is the fact that like yeah i love drum and bass uh, you know and like there's always this shame with scenes and stuff like that and and um i don't know i feel like I only now people are starting to kind of be like especially punks because every punk eventually wants to make a synth record you know like well, because I think you go back and you it all connects back to it, right? Like your documentary shows that. Like, you know, you look at even the club kids in New York, like that connects weirdly back to punk, you know? Like there's just like this sort of uh like this energy we talked about giving people permission. Like not all of them stayed 
playing this capital P punk thing. Like a lot of people went different places to it. And well, I think that's something that is really crazy because like, um, I don't remember if it was me and Julia in conversation or if I had it on camera, I can't imagine why I wouldn't be in the movie if we had it on camera, but like, um, again, there was so much, but, uh, she was talking about punk and she was like, well, the, she says in the movie, like it was a little community, but we were, they were all interested in lots of things. They weren't just interested in this one thing, which is what we ended up getting sold. It was like their, their interests were varied. Mm-hmm. They were into art. They were into all this stuff, but it's just been packaged in this way. And I was, we were talking about the word art movement, which is like, the thing is, is by the time TV or whoever caught onto it, we were dressed like robots. Like the punks were dressing like robots because it's an art movement. It's the punk movement. The moving part is central to the in- entire punk ethos. It's all about it's all about the next thing. Not in a trend way, but in like an interest. We're interested. We want to hear new music. We want to hear new sounds. Craftwork came along. They were like, punks were listening to craftwork, motherfucker. They weren't listening to the Sex Pistols. You know what I mean? Well, they were listening to both. Yeah. And yeah. that's what I love. That is what I love. Cause that's how my life is like. That's how my interests are. You know, like if I listen to punk bands, uh, it's cause I find there, I listen to bands that I think are interesting. I'm not like, Oh, I know all the punk bands. I don't care. I, I, I listen to bands that I think are good or, you know, so it doesn't matter if it's fucking audio Frank or, or, or like some techno thing, you know, it's like, um, just really stepping competently into this audio Franco thing. You're um, really owning this. Shout out to Jennifer Castle. She knows what I'm talking about. Um, yeah. Uh, so anyways, that's that was the most exciting thing for me about Champs is kind of being like, yeah, uh, yeah, the idea that punk movement was actually, the thing about punk was actually had nothing to do with that particular sound at all. It was completely an ideology. And that's, like you were saying, um, the club kids and everything, that's totally punk because they kept on moving and that's what it moved into well it's also you only have it like that's the thing i love about punk is that everyone eventually ages out of being the zeitgeist and you only have the zeitgeist for like three years tops and then another group of kids are going to come and either reject what you were doing or take what you were doing to the next level and and Mm. do it you know and that's that's or have why more money to do it or something i mean yeah. if you look at the roxy you know it was only open for like 90 what is it 90 days 100 days yeah yeah and that was like really the span of anything that we know of is like all, all of the good punk bands or and even a lot of the popular ones they weren't really the scene only lasted like a glimpse and i know that's been said a lot but again the the, the cold hard truth of that when I was making this movie, I was like, holy shit. Yeah. It, it really didn't happen. It was just a flash in the pan, you know, unless yeah. until it was on serviettes and, and like dinner plates and stuff. Well, and that's when like, you know, it takes, it takes the, the, the industry a while to figure out how to market something or to kind of like produce the products that they will eventually market. And by that point, the, the zeitgeist has moved on and there's like a new thing kind of the, at the center of it. Well, I mean that Bill Grundy thing, when the Sex Pistols went on there, you dirty fucker. Yeah. <laughs> I can't remember if it was Stephen Jones or who said it. You dirty fucker. Steve Jones. It was Steve Jones? Yeah. Um, and that made them a household name. But why were they on TV in the first place? Because 
that's another thing that didn't make it into the movie is like punk was banned in in london so there was pub pub rock was still the thing mm-hmm. and and then none of the clubs would book uh punk bands they weren't called that yet but then they had to make a reason to to ban them so they weren't allowed to book um punk bands after the bill garvey thing it like got banned i miss stuff being banned i'm so sick of everything being canceled i wish it was banned like i want to get banned you know what i mean it's so cool all my favorite stuff was banned like madonna you know when i was a kid oh yeah you asked me my first thing punk madonna have you you heard of the breakfast club yeah that one song is really good like there's that like 30 there's like a 20 minute 30 minute thing yeah and there's the one song it's i cannot believe it wasn't a giant hit that's like i gotta i gotta think that you know she had that punk moment where she was going like early stuff in new york seeing that stuff and obviously taking the ball and running a different direction with it and to, to, to cultural ball yeah <laughs> and running with it <laughs> well and then but that's the thing that's what like that's how you make your own thing that's like the ultimate punk thing to do is just kind of like steal enough things that it looks like it's something completely original yeah i mean the thing is is like with her um first record and everything like she actually did have a lot if you talk to the producers like even jelly bean and everyone she sort of ended up working with for most of her career there are some really amazing stuff things online of her um of them talking about her how much she had to do with it she wanted to be famous and she wanted to take all these things but she knew exactly which elements she wanted she wrote her lyrics and i don't know really was very much punk because like you know to make pop music like her at that time it didn't exist yet Mm. that kind of pop you know what i mean so to be friends with like basquiat and dna and fucking mars and all these like amazing you know no wave bands and then be like i want to dress you up with my love you know what i mean it's like that's pretty cool well that's the thing i think also about that no wave stuff like we were talking about like how the popular perception of it is this like weird, noisy, very much Lydia lunch kind of version of things, you know, which is definitely obviously a huge part of it, but like it was weird poppy disco stuff. It was jazzy stuff too. It was like, yeah, yeah. It was, it was like very, very high quality. When you have like um, bands like uh, not bonk, conk, bonk, boink, <laughs> like kind of ESG funky sounding, what is that band called? I don't know. I'm trying to. Anyways, I'm trying... You know what I mean? Yeah, it was like jazz. Yeah. Like, it's like even James Chance to a certain extent is. I mean, he's pretty far out, but like, it's it's dance music, kind of. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's, and it's also very very heavily influenced by rock and roll, like '50s rock and roll and all that stuff. That was another thing that was crazy about um. This was. Like, knowing that like Sid Vicious was like a Bowie guy. Before, like during the Sex Pistols, didn't know how to play guitar. They didn't look like that. Those clothes were put on him. He was a Bowie kid. And there's like amazing, you've probably seen them amazing pictures of him looking like all glam, like a glam rocker. And it's adorable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Have you seen that documentary? The, uh, I'm trying to remember what it's called. But the I only whole... watch my own documentaries. Okay. No, there's this one that's like the premise is that he, he didn't kill Nancy. And there's a documentary all, about it yeah there's it was all a setup 
and uh, they interview like a bunch of interesting people in it, and they kind of pin it on. I might be mistaken, but they got, I, they put it pin it on Rocket's Red Glare. You know the actor from Jim Jarmusch movies and stuff. He was in like a couple different Jim Jarmusch things. He's in like a bunch of New York things over the okay. years. But uh, they kind of pin it on him a little bit in this documentary. Uh, I think Corny Love killed Sebastian's uh, wife. <laughs> that would be uh, that <laughs> would be a Kurt cosmic Cobain, twist. I think Kurt Cobain killed Sebastian's wife and, or Nancy, and and then Corny got mad and and she knew there was a movie there, so she killed him, and that's how it happened. <laughs> you think that's how that all played out? That's my next documentary, actually. Well, what what are some of the odd topics you're kind of looking at? Are there other scenes you kind of think are stuff? Because you kind of like worked on two different scenes that are really under documented with these two different documentaries. Well, it's not like scenes that I'm interested in. It's more like either something I'm obsessed with that I just kind of want a reason to like talk about a lot or or like make my life, you know, like focus. So like that's kind of what this was. And the fifth column thing too. Fifth column thing literally happened because I was listening to them. I used to sneak into the Hilton pool. Used to be able to sneak in there. And I was listening to Fifth Column. And I just got really disgruntled. And I was like, why aren't why isn't this band talked about? We only ever talk about Neil. Exactly the way I still apparently, apparently nothing changed by doing that. Apparently, I'm still just as fucking disgruntled. But um, and I went home and I wrote my first ever grant that day. I was like, fifth column. And I got it. Um and so it just totally came from an obsession with the band and like being obsessed with TV Jones. It was really, really for me, it was all about TV Jones. But um, as an artist, because I knew her from the kind of queer Toronto art scene from through Will Monroe and Bruce LaBruce. And um, yeah, I don't know. Like there's tons of stuff. There's tons of stuff I've pitched. It's fucking impossible to make a movie because he, no one gives you money. It's in Canada, it's like everything's niche. Everything's niche, 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 niche. Like, and I'm like, okay, Boy George is niche. Great. Uh, you got me. I don't know. Like, to me, this is a, I tried to make a pop movie. To me, I think this movie is a pop movie. I think that it's a TV movie. You know what I mean? Like, um, and I tried to make it that way too, like in terms of the production values and everything. Um, Cause I'm so sick of being poor. I just, just like make it look fancy. Someone give me money. Um, didn't happen. Uh, so the things that I want to do, like, for instance, Kemper and I were talking about I, my dream is to make a Kemper Fowler movie. Kemper, are you listening to the podcast? I'm still thinking about it. Um, but she's majorly flaky and just she actually wanted to see me make more stuff so that she could have the confidence in me. And I don't think that the stuff that I've made is going to make her want to work with me because I think it is too kind of mainstreamy. Like I think of what I do as kind of or what I have done is as mainstreamy in terms of the stuff that I like. I think but, every artist does though, right? Like every artist is like what I'm doing has you know, greater acceptance than it receives. You know, you know, maybe, maybe not. I mean I've never been like a top, top tier artist, but I think every artist is like certainly from what I've talked to on this show is frustrated by them the audience they didn't reach more than they're necessarily satisfied with the audience they did reach. yeah and i mean i don't think that camera wouldn't want to be like it's not like she doesn't engage with mainstream culture like she's walked in rick owens shows she walked in um who was it oh um 
uh, oh my God, Mugler, Mugler, like just before he died. And like, you know, and she's been in Space Hog music videos and she's, you know, it's not like she doesn't, I don't know, I shouldn't speak for her, but I'm sure, I, I think a lot of people are more interested in being mainstream than, than we think, myself deeply included, only because I'm sick of being poor again, like I said. But uh, yeah, so I, I wanted to do a Canberra movie and then I kind of, there's a couple things that I'm, that are kind of like I'm working on right now and it's too weird to talk about because again, it's so soul crushing to try and make something and convince people that you should make it. So, you know, you don't want to talk about stuff because you'll feel like a failure. But um, but you did it, you know, like what? you've done it. You've now done it twice. You've done it. I know. And you know what? I can't believe that I want to do it again because it was a fucking nightmare. I almost died making this movie. It was just it was crazy. But um, I know that sounds dramatic, but it, it's hard. It's hard. Like, you know, it's hard working shit jobs. And like and when I call them shit jobs, I'm very thankful for them because they're my friends that hired me in their stores, or their bars or whatever. And I loved working there and I'm very thankful. But same time, you want to be a famous, rich, superstar filmmaker. You don't want to be fucking working at the bar. So, um, yeah, uh, I don't know. I have a feeling that I'll have the same feeling with the next one. And I don't care. I don't care. I mean, I love Kember so much. Like I would be living in a dream working on that movie. You know what I mean? Like, it's like Tramps. Like when we were working on it, when we actually were able to work on it and like cut the movie and everything, it was a dream because I love everyone in the movie so much. And I loved all of the art we put in there. For me, it was just like a fucking compilation of stuff that I loved. Yeah. You're making your own favorite movie. Yeah. It literally, that's, that's exactly what we called it. We're like, well, this is my favorite movie. It's all my favorite stuff. You know, that's why I don't make like political documentaries because it's like, (laughs) <laughs> that's why i do this podcast same reason exactly yeah exactly you make yeah you make space for the stuff that makes you able to stay alive basically so well, i don't know if you're not gonna get rich on it you might as well do something you like doing exactly yeah 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 and so far it's pretty rewarding i have to say like tramps is the first thing i've like been able to stand beside and be like i'm really proud of this the fifth calm thing was too complicated it was all dark vibes and bad vibes. And this is the first one that I've been able to be like, it's such positive vibes and like, which sounds so cheesy, positive vibes, but like everyone in the movie is so supportive. And um, I find it really celebratory in a way that we're able to celebrate it. Where the call movie, it was celebratory, but in, in an enforced way. And this is more like, they didn't know that I was celebrating them in the way that the movie ended up so when they saw it when we were in london they were like oh my god we had no idea because they're so used to being just like on bbc like talking about boy george mm-hmm. so like none of them had none of them had talked about themselves and their yeah. upbringing or their you know or their ideas or whatever because their ideas are only ever used to to reinforce the span of ballets and all that stuff so um yeah i fucking love it i don't know and i'm so glad that yeah i'm so glad that you liked it and and I'm also so glad that even if people don't like it, they'll just tell me that they do. It's a win-win. It's a win-win. Yeah, yeah. It's all good with this one. We'll just have to see what's happening. We still, we still owe a lot of money to people, but uh, I don't even give a fuck. You know what I mean? Like one point in time, I was just like, I just want it done. Just want it done. I don't care if no one sees it. 
and now it's done but i think people are seeing it so it's cool i'm excited yeah well that's like you know and i think that's something that comes when people get older too is they begin to realize like if someone didn't do this my story wouldn't be out there you know like these are stories that will be forgotten otherwise or not told well otherwise. that's a really complicated thing though because that actually can make people really guarded because you know it, especially in this scene if you can call it that like the neuromantic thingy um like you you see people like george and actually i was trying to find drama at the beginning i was trying to find drama being like so were you guys mad when boy george like got so famous and you didn't and they were like no we loved it it was crazy you know like they thought it was wild they thought it was funny and they and so there was just this support and i was like no 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 i'm from canada you're supposed to hate when your friends become famous or you know like <laughs> the and, Toronto thing. yeah the Toronto thing and they're like no it was like hilarious and to this day, you know, Duran, the Duran Durans and the, even Susie, you know, like the fucking coolest ever. They're all kind of supportive of each other. And I, I love that. I didn't expect to make a positive vibe movie. <laughs> Believe me, it's not, has never been my intention. It just happened by accident because I was trying to find the drama and, and there definitely is drama, but um, what was more interesting was the kind of support network that happened. Um, again. That's something I, I want to encourage in myself and the way that I treat my friends and celebrate my friends. And I, I hope that other people, you know, feel that way too. Because everything it could be really competitive to, to survive, especially in London, especially in Toronto. You have to like, you know. Do you think it was always that way? Or do you think that's something coming out of like the fact that they've lost so many friends? Because there's that part where they talk about how you know, there was like a, a time where it was like a friend a week was passing away. What, when people supporting each other? Or people... Yeah, like being like caring about each other and being compassionate for each other. I don't know. That's a good question. I I don't think that it was because of that, but I, I'm sure that that reinforced it for sure. Man, that was dark as fuck asking people about that. Speaking about like tangibility of conversations, whatever, like, you know, for my, my, generation in terms of um you know the height of the epidemic like we're able to be like oh the AIDS epidemic it was horrible it's a thing it's a big balloon you know and like um but then when I was asking people in the movie I actually felt really like lecherous because of course I wanted to make everyone's always saying why does it matter? Why does it matter? Make it important. You know what I mean? I'm like, okay, well, AIDS will make people think it's important. Like you feel really like lecherous. And, um, and when I asked a lot of the people in it, the, the presence in their eyes, like I felt really bad about it because they, you could see their friends like right there in their eyes. Like it was so palatable. It was so right there. And it was like really, really sickening. It was really, really, really upsetting. And I felt bad about bringing that up, <clears throat> but I knew like, I also knew that like, because I thought that, like, cause I thought AIDS is this thing that we all can just say, you know, like this thing that's on TV, you know, like I thought that's why like in the movie we show people's pictures and stuff like that, who are just like other people that were in the club that, that aren't boy George, you know, or, or aren't in my movie or whatever. 
but they were creatives. That was a thing. That's a thing. The movie's supposed to be diplomatic about like the creative in like um not industry, the creative instinct. And um so that's why I was like, I wonder if because I felt guilty about it, I was like, is there a way that we can do it that actually says something new or or makes a little bit more space? <clears throat> that we don't see as much anymore because it's been so commodified. AIDS has been definitely commodified. So, um, yeah, yeah, I don't know. I don't know, but I think that living through that, um, I don't know, I, I would have to ask them. I wonder if that committed, uh, contributed to it. Because obviously when they were like, just hanging out in clubs and stuff like that, people were like, let's support each other. They were just kids getting drunk, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like. It was, it was also interesting kind of, um, you know, like your, like how, you know, celebrities been commodified and how like these people at a time, like there wasn't a competition to be the most famous person because like you're saying they did, well, like it said in the documentary, they, there's no one had anything to sell, you know, like yeah. it, so they it, wanted it, to, they wanted to have something to sell. They just didn't know what it was yet. Yeah. Yeah. You like know, now Map wanted to be big famous designers and everyone, you know, like. <clears throat> and, and that's the funny thing it, the competition was like uh, I love that it's about individual looks like it wasn't that's the whole thing about like the punk thing that we've been told punk, no one in the actual punk scene was looking like the other person that was the whole fucking point mm -hmm. is that when you go to the club you're Sue Catwoman you're Sue Catwoman if someone else came into the club with the hair you, you would be crucified you know what I mean <laughs> So that's the that's the kind of funny thing about it is like um I think that it's not like people were like so punk that they were like we don't want to be famous we don't want attention I think that everyone did want attention but they wanted attention for causing trouble you know and like I love the idea like there's that one part in the movie where they talk about uh Jeremy Healy or someone goes down and gets <laughs> beats someone up in a club for wearing for stealing the look for stealing a look yeah and I would be mortified like I mean can you imagine if you went to the club dressed like boy george no bitch that is boy george's look like you don't do that it means that you're not creative you're not interesting you're not allowed in the club and i, when, I love that when it also yeah like it, it really does bring back how tied into art and individualism and fashion but like fashion on like a, a personal fashion level not like an industrial fashion level I think it's creativity. So I think like when we mm. talk about fashion, it's style, not fashion. Fashion is um is the in industry. Style is the instinct and the and the creativity. You know, I think Toronto's a very fashion city. And there's so few people that have style, like really amazing, like brave, exciting style that you can count them on fucking one hand. You know, I feel like I know who they are. Like my friend, you know, I have friends and I'm just like that are like babies and I'm friends with them because I'm like, you look amazing. And like, that means that if you look amazing in that way, that means that you're probably a pretty interesting person. If you just look like you have money to buy clothes, you're probably an idiot, you know? <laughs> so, and that's a really good thing. That's a very, that's a very, uh, it's a very handy tool. Unfortunately, you don't get to use it much. No, and it, and it's uh, it is true that there has to be a distinction between the two because these were people that, like you're saying, had, you know, like it was it was a style that was way too forward for fashion at the time and kept moving yeah. too forward for fashion.
yeah i mean uh i don't know if they thought of it as fashion that's the thing i don't think that it was a fashion thing i think it was a provocation thing hmm. i think that it was a punk instinct to 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 make people uncomfortable yeah and it really is uh you know kind of fitting how it does you know you do see it kind of show up today there are kids that are still finding a way to do it in their own terms now, oh my god it might not be the same thing but they're doing it well why would you want it to be the same thing that's the whole point you know it's not why would you want the same thing why would you want to be like oh it's not as true as in the 1980s then the 2020s wouldn't be cool at all you know what i mean like that's what the 2020s were for new stuff i love the way the kids are referencing the 90s and everything like me growing up people are like oh god you're you're referencing the something that happened before and like, you know, like shitting on that. And it's like, I love the internet kids. I love how they're mistake. Like, it's kind of funny. It's like documentaries. Like you can kind of remix history. And it definitely the internet has done that to youth culture where they're mashing up like nineties with like all these references they don't understand. But at the end of the day, it makes something really weird and cool. Like maybe they don't really fully understand what they're doing, but they have these style instincts and it's, it's exciting. I don't know why people always shit on it. I don't know why people talk about Gen Z's or whatever, like complaining about, I don't know, the, the way they look or whatever. And the whole TikTok fashion thing. I don't know. It's amazing. And you know what? The thing is, these Gen Z people on TikTok, eventually it's going to become mainstream and the fucking 40 year olds like myself are going to end up wearing it. And that's the, that's the trickery. Yeah. Like, cause you can't, and I think it, a lot of the reason people hate on the next generation is because, you know, no one wants to get old. No one wants to lose the sense of being the center of the universe. Yeah. And... But the quickest way to get old is to complain about the next generation. That's the, that's the trickery right there. Is that like, you can't see that forest through the trees. When you're in that forest, when you're in the forest of hate, you can't see the tree right in front of you. You know, something that really scares me right now I'm dealing with is like after the pandemic, like I, I don't really know what my relationship is with like bands and stuff. I don't really know. I, I find my narrative sometimes I'm like, you know, oh, just listening to Lana Del Rey all the time being like, I don't know anymore. I don't fucking care. I just want to listen to Lana Del Rey all the time. <clears throat> and, um, and I'm like asking myself, you know, it's that cliche of like, uh, if you're not interested, then you're not interesting. And, and, and so it's kind of like trying to find this balance between like, um, okay, I've done my time I, and I'm fine with absorbing popular culture like Lana Del Rey and stuff like that. Um, but that can still be, and also kind of still feeling cool or like interested in things. Cause I don't want to be like, I don't, a lot of my friends are like, I don't care anymore. And I'm like, well, if you don't care, then like, if you're not interested, then you're not interesting. So I'm trying to find that kind of balance where it's like, I'm not trying to chase cool things. Mm -hmm. Well, there also will come a time where you, you know, it's not meant for you, you know, it's meant for the next generation. And like yeah, exactly. Exactly. And like, um, and, and it's also crazy the way, the amount of stuff that's being, a friend of mine sent me, um, Kat Duma, everybody Google Kat Duma, SoundCloud, new record forthcoming. Um, some something and like i didn't know any of the bands and i was just like thankfully she's okay with me being like old as dirt um <laughs> because she is in this kind of younger demographic she knows like all these crazy producers and that's the thing it's all producers 
it's not really bands or artists. It's like, I mean, not, not, I'm not saying that producers are not artists, but like, I didn't recognize anyone. And uh, she was like, either do I. <laughs> so even like, there's so much stuff being produced that even like people who are like hyper cool um, don't even know what's going on. And I'm fine with that. But uh, yeah, yeah. I think that this whole thing about being jaded and that's the thing about the newer like, people in my movie, they're way cooler than I am. When I went to London, like every alternative gay bar, the cool, coolest place, Julia was DJing, Jeffrey was DJing. They're like triple the age of the kids that are in the club. And that's kind of what I was trying to figure out. How, why, how do you, am I getting jaded? How do you guys stay not jaded? You know what I mean? Like I was trying to figure out like how to kind of stay engaged, but also know like when to chill. Well, now we live in the multiverse, right? Like where there's like, there's so many mainstreams and there's so many cool at the same time, like my kids think I'm a loser because I don't like Mr. Beast and Mr. Beast has someone with tens of millions of subscribers. What is that? A on, band or a TV show? No, it's a guy on YouTube. And you know, he's not, he's not cool. You know, he's not David Bowie. Put it that far <laughs> like that. Oh my God. I love Mr. Beast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's the coolest. I've, I love Mr. Beast. <laughs> he is he is a very normal seeming 20-year-old person to me, but has tens of millions of followers on YouTube. What was with your kids um saying, yeah. On your special presentation with Peaches, that was the wiggly band. Oh, they kept saying yeah over and over again. <laughs> yeah. He was that like the, the way special it's part said. of the podcast? I was like, what? No, he just really liked the way his voice sounded when he said yeah. It was really funny. I think your kid is genius. <laughs> they uh they were very excited because that's their that's their buddy's uh well I guess cousin technically if you're doing the the breakdown but aunt. Who? Beaches. Is your kid's aunt? No, my kids about buddies. They're really good friends, aunt. No way. Yeah. Yeah. So wait, it's Peach's brother's kid. No, Peach's cousin's kids. So I guess it's like cousins, oh, like twice removed. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's you know. so cute. But uh yeah, no, they are they so my kids were very excited that they were like there was that connection. And then plus they debut they debuted their own podcast cuz you know, why not? Yeah, amazing. Amazing. Um I can't wait to see Peaches on Thursday. I really need some Peaches like action. And I don't know if you've seen her current band, but it's like pretty amazing. I was watching a lot of footage today. I was putting together like a, a Twitter thread of Peach's videos and it's oh, it, Twitter. I always forget about Twitter. Yeah. It's um, a, a forgotten medium. <laughs> people, I don't know. It's people's favorite medium apparently, but um, like I just discovered Twitter. Like I used to use it for jokes because I thought I was a genius. So I just told jokes to no one. Just <laughs> I had no followers, but I thought I was, you know, I would just read my own Twitter and be like, <laughs> I'm brilliant. But um, what was it recently? Like maybe an award show or a TV show or something like that. And I forgot that Twitter is like, the whole point about it is like, it's happening while it's happening. Mm -hmm. Like I, I, I searched the thing and I was like, oh my God, they're talking about what I'm watching right now. <laughs> and I was like really excited about it. And I'm like, fuck man, I really have to like, work on this because <laughs> i'm pretty social media friend i don't know i don't know but you gotta do it for the movie 
I have been. I've been posting about it, but I feel like I'm spamming. I feel like people hate me. I feel like it, it really like makes me feel insecure because I don't have a filter. I don't, I, I don't, oh, I'm going to post on Tuesday at 7 a.m. because of the demographics, like, no. And like, but also I want to, I want to, because I come from a past of like throwing shows or working for promoters and stuff. So I'm used to the olden days. Oh boy, here we go. Where you had to push, come to the show, come to the show, better get tickets, better, you know, like that whole thing. And that doesn't really exist anymore. People just kind of let what happens happen. And I'm, I'm just not good at that. And like, I'm like, how many tickets are selling? Da, 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 da. What should I do? When should I post? And I just want to post more and more and more thinking that it's actually going to make people buy tickets, but actually they'll probably just unfollow me. So it makes me feel really like, am I spamming too much? But also I, another thing is, is like my kind of go-to um, attitude about promotion is like razzle dazzle. Like it's very like Hollywood. I'm like, step right up folks. <laughs> and I think, people might interpret it as me thinking that I'm really important or something. And they don't really get that. It's just like a joke of like one night only, like using all this old fashioned, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like not actually that I think that it's that important, you know, like it's just that when it comes to making jokes and trying to tell people and remind people, cause I really do want people to come um, that that's my way of doing it. I'm not, I'm not chill. I've never had any chill. I've never been chill. I don't know what gene, I don't know how people get the chill gene. You know, I've never experienced this chill I hear about. Um, and that's just the vibe that it is. So either people are going to run away or they're going to come see it. But um, yeah, I have to tweet. I have to tweet. I, I have tweeted about this movie, but I don't think I have that many followers. Maybe if you retweet me, I'll get more followers. I'll retweet you. Well, this okay. goes out. I'm going to retweet it. Okay. 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 Well, and anytime, Kevin, you want to come back on here. And talk about anything. You know, okay. the door is always open. I know there's so much we didn't talk about. We've been talking forever. Well, that's that's how it goes. We never get to the end of it. That's why this thing just keeps going on forever. I'll do something that doesn't take 10 years to make. And then so so then we'll talk sooner than a decade from now. Thank you, Kevin, for coming on the show. And hopefully it's not five years before you come back on the show. And I cannot wait to see what you do next. Very excited. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that. And once again, check out Tramps Tuesday premiering in North America. It already premiered in England and people loved it. So there you go. It's tested already with an audience and they loved it too. So you don't have to just take my word for it. Uh, rest, rest in peace to Will Monroe too. Uh, Kevin mentioned Will there and, and a huge influence on Kevin and an influence on myself and everyone, everyone from Toronto. All right, on the next episode of the show, a legend, a friggin' music legend from the band Cursive, from The Good Life, but also, for our purposes, from Slowdown Virginia, super underrated band, and Commander Venus, Tim Kasher will be on the show. This is a really fun conversation, uh, very interesting conversation also as well, like, with a, uh, a hugely important person in independent music. And we get into all of it next episode. I'm excited for you to hear this. It'll be coming out in a few days. And I might hopefully get an episode of Washcloth Dave Oval Pants up before that. And if you're unfamiliar with that podcast, check out the Peaches episode. Uh, and that'll come out hopefully this weekend as well. 
We'll see. Got a little, trying to do a lot of stuff right now, but we'll get it done. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives of Indigenous peoples matter. We need to protect trans kids and help trans people protect themselves and stop hate and violence towards people of different faiths and different nationalities and just stop stop violence, stop hate and violence, period. Uh, it's a very short life. And why make other people's lives harder for them? We need to be trying to make other people's lives better. We need to try make our world a little bit better. So get involved in organizations that are doing good things that you believe in. Volunteer your time, uh, volunteer your money if you if you have some. Uh, there's a lot of people that are doing a lot of great things in this world because there's a lot of terrible shit happening at all times. And the world only gets better if we start trying to make it a little bit better. Uh, this podcast remains, once again, feels weird having to say this all the time, but it is a pro-choice podcast. We support people's rights to choose what they want to do with their reproductive systems. This just complete reset or, or I don't even reset people trying to turn back the clock on this issue. is not just limited to what's happening in America right now. Like it certainly is spreading to Canada and you can kind of feel this sort of sentiment growing here, not even a sentiment growing, but like a, a very vocal, hateful <laughs> group of people that want to take away other people's rights to choose what they want to do with their reproductive systems are getting louder and louder in Canada too. So it feels weird that you have to keep saying that stuff, but I guess you do. Um, Speaking of keep saying the same thing over and over again, go there and start your own culture. Anyone can do this stuff. Anytime you listen to one of these episodes, I hope the one thing you take away is that we all can do stuff. We can all make cool stuff. It doesn't have to be a band. It could be a band. Doesn't have to be a podcast. Could be a podcast. Doesn't have to be a documentary, but it could be a documentary. Well, you can do whatever you want. You can just draw a picture. Being creative and producing something creative, even if you're not trying to share it with thousands of people is, is, is healthy and it will help you process things and deal with things. So, you know, making your own culture serves a lot of purposes. Speaking of make yourself feel better, maybe try meditating. I didn't believe in it. And then I tried it and now it kind of works for me and I got to remember to do it more often, but it is something that I I'm, I'm finding is working for me. I'll let you know, as I've always done on this podcast, when things help me with my mental health shit, because maybe it'll help some of you with your mental health shit. Speaking about helping people or speaking of helping people sign that organ donor card, because by the time they come looking for those organs, you don't need them anymore. It's like literally dead weight in your body because you're dead effectively. So all they're doing is trying to give someone else, uh, you know, trying to extend that short life we talked about earlier. Well, I think that is it for me. Uh, thank you for listening and I will see you all on the next episode.